Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. So I had a need to look at my college transcript the other day, Sherry. Yes, I think you talked about that on a podcast once before. Did I mention that? I did. Do you think you mentioned that? Well, we're going to Because you were talking about it's... how it was like, if you would have looked at that, you would have seen the decline of your alcohol. Yeah, abuse. I do remember mentioning that on a podcast, but it's been bothering me, so we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. Okay. I know you're it's excited. Matt's therapy session hey, today. You get we get to talk about your resentments <laughs> for my drinking days. Can't we talk about one of mine? Sure. Self-inflicted so, resentment. Self-inflicted resentment. That's right. So, my grades really tanked my last semester in college, and it's been really give. You know, I've been thinking it through. Like, how, because for all of these twenty-five, twenty-seven. I don't know. I'm really old. Many, Apparently many you years. weren't a math major. <laughs> I was not. For these 27 or 28 years since I graduated, I have thought of myself as, that I was a B student, you know? Underachiever, could have gotten A's if I had worked real hard, didn't work real hard, drank real hard instead. And I just have accepted that. In fact, I've written... For some reason, I thought my grade point average was a 2.99 <laughs> when I graduated. So I had written about how... Ironic that is that it's 0 .01 point below a 3.0. Mm -hmm. And so I could round and say it, but really it wasn't below a 3. And how I thought that number was really funny. I've written about that. I don't know where I came up with that number. That number does not exist on my transcript. You um, have... I was significantly worse than that. Sorry, I just wanted to... You kind of have a tendency to exaggerate things. So exaggerating things in your best interest seems like that that would be... I mean, is that your overall... College average, you, not your end of your... You can't tell our listeners that listen to this for truth and honesty <laughs> that I exaggerate. For your, you but know... You, you might be right. You might be right. You are a bit, a wee bit of an exaggerator. Um, I like the word embellisher better. Embellisher. Yeah. Matt the embellisher. I just like to turn boring stories and make them a little better. Well, somewhere yes, well, in my embellishing brain, I got a 2.99, but my human real self did not get a 2.99. It was significantly worse. And there were many semesters where it was well above a 3.0. So you have to tank hard at the end. And so... So was that possibly your average then? Your 2.99? No, that you the average was... If you were above the average three was like and a then... 2.4 or 5 or ooh, something. Ooh. I almost flunked out of school. That's what I want right. to talk to you about. Sorry. And really, I'd like to blame it all on you because this was the last year of school when I had met you. Yeah, and I remember having conversations like, don't you need to get up and go to class? Like, and why are you dropping that class? If you finish that semester of that class, you'll have a double major. All right. Even my mom was in on yelling at you about not going to class. Let's get in on that. Um, that's one of the points that I wanted to make. Yeah, I, I dropped a second major late. I don't remember. Yeah. It was in my senior year. It was your second semester of your senior year because the class was a little too early. And I don't, what's a, what am I going to do with oh, that? See, there, like, again, I have always said to myself, I just decided I didn't like that. It was computer information systems, and I decided I didn't like computers and programming, and I never wanted to do that. And so why would I finish the major? Because I'm never going to work in that field. But you're saying I... Dropped it because the class was too early? Well, you said something about the class being too early. You don't like oh it. Oh, my God. And I remember having a conversation, because you knew my mom, like, that 
last year, senior year, senior year. And my mom, she worked at the same university and she was like, but it's so great for your transcript. It's just oh, yeah. great to have a double major. Like you don't have to work in that field. Oh, yeah. Just having that. Just is, makes you look yeah, like you can accomplish you, a double major. Yeah. Could have been in Could have been in pottery design. Who cares? Just get the double major if you're already most of the way to the double. Yeah, and that was the way there. That was her point. That was the point too. Was like, oh my gosh, it's one class. It was insane. So the degree to which I compartmentalized what happened there at the end is really fascinating to me now, 27 years later. Because, like I said, if I just think about my memories, this isn't part of my memories. But when I look at the details, I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I've talked about how I was an alcoholic for 10 years, the 10 years prior to my quitting. There was really bad stuff going on in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Like not, you know, it, it is a progressive disease for sure. But there there were huge red flags waving in my face that I just wasn't smart enough to see. So dropping the second major was one of them. Um, another one, be, because I was late to go and register for classes... For one of my last two semesters, I don't remember which one. You know, you you registered at the time. I think it's probably still the way you the your allow your window for registration opens based on how many credit hours you already have accomplished. So, to put that simply, a senior gets to register before a freshman. Mm-hmm. So, by the time you're a senior, you should get classes at the times you want the classes. Although, you know, the the class options are more limited because there's only a few things left that you need to take. Right. But basically, I blew off registration until when I went to register, I had like a couple of 8 a.m. classes, and I was not in a position to do 8 a.m. classes. That was probably... I bartended, for one thing. You, <laughs> yeah. and, I, you and I worked in a bar, and we, we was... were out on work nights until 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so that the was idea probably of... your last class for your computer information. Well, well there was a, a logistics class, actually, that... I very, 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 very nearly flunked. When I went to talk to the teacher about how bad my grade was, this was a class with like 20 kids in it. It wasn't like a big, you know, a a big, um, what do you call that? Auditorium. Auditorium with 400 students like you have your freshman year. There's 20 kids in this class, and he didn't know who I was when I went to talk to him. That's how infrequently I went to the class. And I remember, like, he's like, there's no way for you to pass this class at this point. And I had to have that class. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but he, he let me, like, write a paper or something. And so I squeaked by on that one. But I also, because of those early classes, I can't believe I'm saying this. I went to see a dean, I guess, or I don't know, some high up person. I brought my crutches from when I had ACL surgery. You're so pathetic. And I limped in there on crutches and I told her I had to get physical therapy in Indianapolis. This was in Bloomington, Indiana, where we went to school. So like an hour and so 15 minutes So an hour drive away. away. And my physical therapy was early in the morning, and I couldn't take those 8 a.m. classes. And even though that the schedule was locked and the classes were closed, I needed her to get me into those afternoon classes. And I thought it was going to be a slam dunk. And she started asking questions. She wanted the name of the doctor, and she wanted the phone number. And I'm like sitting there in her office sweating like, oh my God, she's going to follow up on this total BS lie I'm telling. I'm going to get kicked out of school because you can't lie to a dean, no. I think it was. Yeah, well. You can't lie to that person and not get kicked out of school. Like that was going to be really bad. And then she got called away for an emergency in the middle of our discussion. And 
Like, never followed up. And like I didn't go back God and God letting you off the hook. I didn't go back and ask for the classes. You have a chance to escape yeah. and turn this around. Yeah. So I ended up just sticking with that 8 a.m. and didn't poke my head up again. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that I did that. Four years would have been wasted if uh, oh. if she had, hadn't gotten called away for that emergency. So you got the crutches incident. You got the terrible grades my senior year. Dropping my second major, and then I, to top it all off, I got arrested on graduation weekend. I must have very, very, very been very. <laughs> that's not. I must have not paid one blip of attention to you, even though we were dating. Because those are like major red flags. If you told me that story about you lying and going in and limping, I don't know if I would have thought that very admirable. At least not now. I wouldn't have. Well, now you maybe I would have thought. Well, that's pretty clever. But he still needs to get his lazy ass up and go to the class. And he's smart enough to pull grades because I was already like jealous that you were able to go to class. I like could not finish a four year degree. Well, so I was already jealous of that. So that's a, those are some major red flags I obviously missed or didn't listen to your stories. Maybe you were compartmentalizing as well. I don't know. Maybe maybe part of my blocking it out for myself was not talking about it very much. Although I know I remember talking about that almost getting kicked out of school thing. I was terrified by that. But then I got arrested. I got arrested for peeing on the front of the bar that we worked on in. And I, outside on the <coughs> on the building, <coughs> yeah. The bar. I didn't get arrested actually for peeing outside on the building. It was a very busy night. Long story short, I didn't want to. I wasn't working that night. I was drinking that night, and I didn't want to work my way to the bathroom. So I just went out the front door and just peed on the brick building. And the, there was a cop car. They were sitting right on the right on the street, right outside. So I was hammered because I didn't even bother to look. And they got out of the car and wanted to talk to me, and I ran around the back of the bar, in the back door, ran through the crowd, and then went back up to the front and was just looking out the front window, and I was like, oh, the cop car's still there, and they grabbed me from behind. So they followed me, and then when they were taking me away, the manager of the bar got involved and said, look, he works here, he's an idiot, but he's harmless, so can you just let him go? harmless, drunk idiot. Yeah. And he just graduated. And they said, we would have let him go for peeing on the bar, but we're not going to let him go because he made us run. You never you never make a police officer run. When you do that, you're going in. Also, let's just... I know this is probably a dig to some people. This is the Midwest. This is South Central Indiana. A lot of lack of exertion and, and physical prowess in hey, some of them. I'm still afraid of those particular police officers <laughs> for some reason. So I would not... I'm not making that dig. Um, because they caught me especially... Not that I was I, hard to catch and, at that point in that yeah. state of inebriation. I just imagine you looking like a little kid, like, waiting up for Santa with a foggy window, like you're w- watching out the window, and then they come and tap you on the shoulder. And... They didn't tap me on the shoulder. They, I had, I was looking, Your like, hands are out, up. and my hands were up next to my face, like I'm leaning on the window and my hands are holding me up. I mean, that's yes. how drunk I am. I have to hold myself up. And how I knew they were there was both hands just went, behind my back. I wish this was... TV instead of radio, so we could show that, but I hope that we've described it in such a way. Yeah, there was no talking. I was just all of a sudden in handcuffs, and my face was holding my weight against the window. My glasses, my glasses. And then there were lot, there lots of other great parts of this story, like when I was in the drunk tank, and I flailed around so much trying to get them to come and talk to me that I knocked my glasses sideways, 
And then they came and put handcuffs on me in the drunk tank because I was flailing around so much. Oh, yeah, the handcuffs were on first, and that's why when I locked my glasses sideways, I couldn't fix them. So they were, like, crooked on my face, and I'm sure everyone was getting a big kick out of that. By the way, it's also hard to pee when you're a boy and you're, you're in handcuffs in the drunk tank. So I'm pretty sure there was a terrible aspect to that as well. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway... Glad I was not part of these, any of that. All of these awful things um, were happening, and I, you know, I just couldn't see the huge red flags and how bad they are. And it's got me thinking about how I wonder how many other people in their active addiction compartmentalize. I mean, I know we all compartmentalize, but I wonder what coming out of this pandemic, the pandemic is something that we really haven't talked about on this podcast. <coughs> in almost any detail at all in since the very beginning of it at the very beginning here in Colorado when they made the decision to close liquor stores along with the other you know restaurants pot shops and too. then all of a sudden they decided oh we can't close liquor stores we're going to have riots on our hands and there are people that are so heavily addicted that they will die from withdrawal so they reopened the liquor stores even you know when they were closing other recreational things we talked about it then a couple of years ago <laughs> But we really haven't talked about it, the the kind of COVID drinking behavior since. And somebody shared with me recently a statistic that I found very interesting. It, I think, you know, uh, points toward the normalization of day drinking that took place when we went from putting on our nice clothes and driving to an office and sitting in an office with a bunch of other people to sitting in our chair without pants on and just doing Zoom meetings all day, uh, people realized that they could get away with day drinking. Now, you know, I've been sober over five years, so my drinking was way before the pandemic, but I had a few of those video conference calls. You know, we didn't even know what Zoom was. It was whatever tool was being used at the time where I would be sipping on some beer out of a, you know, a a cup that was you couldn't see through uh, during those during meetings like that. So I had I know what day drinking and doing right. it while you're working is. It, it I mean I'm talking maybe two or three times. And one of those two or three times, I got hammered. I had been we had been on vacation and I had to get on this call and I'd been mowing the lawn in the sun. I hadn't eaten. I drank a bunch and I made a complete ass of myself on that call and you know cost myself career wise for sure. I, would, I didn't get fired because we owned our own business, but I lost the respect of everybody on that call, for sure. So I'm familiar with that, even though my sobriety predates COVID. But just this normalization of day drinking that has taken place, this statistic that I wanted to reference, um, it, it was analyzing alcohol sales for the first year of the pandemic, the second year of the pandemic, and comparing that to pre-pandemic. And the one that jumps off the page is that seltzer sales were up 130% um, in the second year of the pandemic versus the year before the pandemic. And if you're listening to that, you might be saying, oh, well, but, you know, hard seltzers were a new thing that kind of happened. But that's that's my point, right? Why would some, I mean, I, I've never tasted a hard seltzer. I mean, I think I did accidentally once. 
I can't imagine if I was still a drinker that that would be my drink of choice. I mean, you drink, you know, bubbly waters. I drink a ton waters. of non-alcoholic because, because they have, yeah, of non-alcoholic. Because of, like, there's no calories. It's something different than plain water. Those sort of things. So, I love the bubbles. And I've talked to so many alcoholics in that recovery love that bubbles. love the bubbles. Yeah, so I think, I think that the alcohol companies were just wise to that. Like, oh, if we're going to keep people drinking and because they kind of are trendy and new but they knew they're researching they know what's going on they're following the trends and they know that hey we can keep people drinking a lot longer if we can have them consume more if it doesn't have calories for some people or because is there a there and there's a little bit less alcohol content so i think in some yeah yes so, but, but that's kind of the point. If And they look okay like if they're just in a clear glass even. Right? I mean, if the sales went up 10 or 15% for a new product year over year, you would say, oh, that's growth of a new product, something that people are really enjoying and, and it's, uh, it's catching on. But it goes up 130%. Something is desperately wrong. And my conjecture about what is desperately wrong is it's people like me. Beer drinkers, people who like a glass of whiskey on the rocks that are saying, I can't do that. I can't drink whiskey at 11 o'clock in the morning when I'm on a conference call, a Zoom. But you know what? I can drink this low-cal stuff, so it won't make me fat. It's a little lower in alcohol. If anyone does see it, it's clear. Uh, I I can drink that all day long. And, I mean, I I just think it has taken market share from beer and wine. I know, I know it has taken market share from beer and wine. I, I, um, know a beverage person who is, yeah. And, and her product line was wine and she was sharing that she's getting killed Mm -hmm. because she sells wine and, and her cohort, her, um, coworker who sells seltzers is making a zillion dollars. She, she's commission based. And so I know it's taking the place of beer and wine but it's got to be because you can get away with it. Because I don't think it tastes particularly good. I don't think I've had them. Are those like those Trulies and those sort of things? Trulies and, and White Claws. White Claws, the, the one that all the Well, kids and I drink. think also it just, those were so marketed to women. And women were a lot of and the teens. wine drinkers and teens. <laughs> so they, uh, so then those consumers that normally <laughs> wouldn't have purchased those sort of things... They felt good about purchasing them, almost like it was, I don't know, I can imagine if I was a, a drinker and we didn't have any alcoholism in our family and I wasn't concerned, and I if I enjoyed it and I didn't get hangovers, I could see where I'd be like, oh, it's almost a little bit like a health drink. Oh, like, 100%. I can totally drink that on vacation all day long, be lightly buzzed, yep. n- but not have the calories because I like fruity mixed drinks. I like flavorful mixed drinks. Did you like so wine I would, coolers when wine coolers were all the rage? I did like wine coolers. I had a particular favorite your wine mom, cooler. Your mom hardly drinks at all, but if she yeah. ever does, she likes her wine cooler. Well, I don't even think they make them anymore, but there was one that I loved. What was the flavor? Um, it was um, a Bartles and James. <laughs> <laughs> Are they still and, around? I don't know. And it was. Um, like something spice. So it was like, it almost kind of tasted of like a little Captain Morgan's and 7-Up. Captain Morgan's Spice Rum and 7-Up. And so... Uh, a B&J Spice. Yeah, and it was like kind of that... Spicy BJ. My God, I knew you'd have to go to that. 
I, as soon as I said Bartles and James, I was like, I know what the well, initials are. That's all. I'm sorry. So, yeah, so I, but I like, so when I do drink and had drink, it was always these flavorful concoctions that also had a lot of sugar. And yeah. so therefore I would be hungover. Yeah. You know, so that's my own detriment. So I can see, I'd be like, ooh, these seltzers are almost like a health beverage. Oh, yeah. You oh, know. I am, I am sure that they're, that thought goes through many, many a mind out there. No question. But so if you take what we know statistically about what happened drinking wise, and that's just one statistic, right? This 130% increase in seltzer sales. But if you, we've also heard lots of other numbers and reports about how alcohol sales are up and how day drinking is up. If you take all of that and lay it over the bad behavior that we're now seeing everywhere, mm-hmm. there's got to be a connection. I'm not saying that alcohol is responsible for all of the bad behavior, but between the statistics that the that the airline industry has released about, you know, 500-fold increases in disturbances on planes, you know, uh, aggravations, assaults, whatever you want to call them, unruly passengers on planes compared to pre-pandemic, and just all kind, you know, anecdotal stories everywhere, stories on the news about just people behaving badly. There's got to be a link between uh, the increase in alcohol sales. Certainly, part of it is we all locked ourselves away in our houses for 18 months, and then when we came out, we had forgotten how to behave. I get that, and people say that a lot. Uh, my mind goes to the point that we, we forgot how to interact socially and be respectful of one another and then a lot of political contention. But then I wonder how much of that is, you know, could be, um, you know, people drinking, getting in their own head, believing certain things. And then it just, you know, we know that the brain is so affected by the alcohol consumption. So mm-hmm. it's like secondary behaviors of a alcoholic brain. That they don't know right from wrong. I mean, you think about it in a lot of ways. It's like children. They don't. You don't know right from wrong anymore because you've can sit and just over process things that you hear on the news, and then you're drinking, and then it just gets stuck. Because I would see that kind of behavior with you, even before oh, the pandemic, yeah. you know. And so then you're just I get totally, all fired up about. And it. then you can be totally disrespectful to people and not even realize you're being disrespectful because you're just so geared into your line of thinking or your way of behaving and and it's very normalized in your own brain. And then you don't know how like, oh, maybe not everybody believes what I believe, but I can go ahead and behave this way because yeah. I've had no one fighting up against me. Yeah. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah, I, I can remember many times where I'd get all tuned up. Just, I mean, I could be watching sports. It wasn't even like a controversial political issue. And I'd get all worked up about something and think it was the greatest travesty and want to yell at everybody who would listen about it. And, and yeah, just completely uh, get emotional, really emotional, right? Mm-hmm. And, and illogical, irrational. Yeah. Like maybe even if I was right, which I probably wasn't very often. But even if I was, why are you so worked up about that thing? And that's what I see a lot of Mm -hmm. out there in public. I understand that you feel passionately about um, your dog needing a place to run free and not always be on his leash. I understand that that's important to you and you love your dog. And I'm proud of you for loving your dog. But you're in a park with a leash law. like Follow the laws. There are reasons for it. If if somebody's upset with you because your dog's off leash... Put them on the leash. That's the rule. 
Mm-hmm. Go, go fight to change the rule or go to a different park. Like, right. come on. You're losing your gourd over something that... It's like this unjustifiable anger that you're like, yeah. there were all these rules and laws in place before, but now society is like, well, I have to speak up for myself because nobody else is going to do it. And I'm going to break the rule because, you know, I'm worried about myself, my dog, whatever. And they don't think about the consequences that can happen or the... And it's like they just, they feel so justified in their anger and rage when they haven't really evaluated it. And that is stereotypical alcoholic behavior, behaving that way. Now, do I think everyone that gets upset in the park about a dog leash issue is drunk? No, I don't. But that's, that's why this is such a difficult topic, I think, because there's so many factors blending in. There is the, hey, we were all locked up for two years and nobody knows how to behave. There is the mental health component between COVID, between the Russian invasion of Ukraine, between the economic problems and the inflation. The political environment that we're in. The political environment is toxic beyond toxic. All of these things cause strife and stress and are contributing factors to mental challenges, mental health challenges that are legitimate. But what I'm curious about is, and we'll never have the answer, where does it, the cumulative effect on our mental health, where is that the factor? And where is somebody has been drinking seltzers since 10 o'clock this morning and then they take their dog for a walk in the afternoon and things don't go well? Like I said, we'll, we'll never know, but... It's definitely a contributing factor that I don't personally think is being talked about enough. I know at the beginning of COVID, there was lots of coverage of the increase in alcohol sales. Yeah. And every once in a while, you get a story about that. Right. But for the most part, and and one of the things that's kind of unfortunate about this is this is the first time in our nation's history, I believe, I'm pretty sure I'm right, that we're taking mental health seriously. And somebody that's struggling in that regard is being treated for the most part, as an equal to someone who has a broken leg or who has a heart attack or cancer. We're treating mental health illness, mental illness, the same way we're treating physical illness, or for the most part, we're getting there. And that's great. And we don't want to slow that progress. But I just feel like there is, there is also an opportunity, because we're taking it seriously, to hide other things behind it. And to say, oh, you know, gosh, with everything that's been going on for the past two years, I'm just really struggling with my mental health and that's why I behaved that way. If that's the truth, then boy, let's get you some help and I'm sorry. But was it really a mental health break or are you just drunk all the time now? Yeah. Well, and and I know that this is going back to what we were talking about, about the, the things leading up to all of these bad behaviors. I don't know if... If this is fair to say, I feel like from the coverage that I remember, during a lot of those Black Lives Matters movements and protests, things didn't get chaotic and crazy until dark. And how much of that was people drinking and watching and raging all during the day and then coming out to fight against these peaceful protesters and cause chaos because whether they're just, you know, drunk or enraged or high or whatever or just sitting there, you know... Uh, plotting. I don't know. I don't know like or, the whole story. That. But it seems like everything felt fairly peaceful during the daytime. 
But then as the the evening went on and the tension started to rise, and maybe it's because, you know, people that were doing wrong things could be under the cover of darkness. Yeah, and I mean, I you've just, got the hyper-political part component in that as well, right? Yeah. You've got people that didn't really care about what the protest was for. They just knew they could raise holy hell and, um, you know... Uh, go beyond what the protest, the peaceful protest was all about. So yeah. then the peaceful protest, which was for very important causes and they're making serious progress. And it was the first time we were actually paying attention to some of these issues that gets overwhelmed right. under the cover of darkness by the very few, the small percentage that want to riot and loot and yeah, and be bad actors. And, and then get, everyone gets lumped into the same pile. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, there's, I don't think there's any way to parse it out. I don't think there's any way to say, you know, this set of people are drunk or stoned or what are on crack or whatever. And then this set of people, um, you know, are having a mental break. This set of people are hyper political and that's why they're behaving the way they are. I mean, I don't even want to talk about masks and the way people behave over masks. I don't want to get into masks are good or masks are bad. But there's no question that some of the behavior surrounding masks, regardless of how you feel about it, went over the top unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. So there's all these contributing factors to the bad behavior. I'm wondering, what is it like for you when you see bad behavior in public? I know, <coughs> you know, you, you've been through a lot uh, specifically related to alcohol and you've seen me overconsume. You've seen other people overconsume. You've learned a lot. You've learned a lot through your own experience. You've learned a lot through the experience of the people that we get to know and through reading and research and therapy and all of this. What's it like for you now when you see overconsumption? Does it make you want to step in? Does it make you just want to shake your head? Does it make you want to offer help? Like, what's that like for you? Hmm. Well, it's hard because each situation is different. When it is somebody close to you, you want to kind of nudge them towards this direction of, you know, like when you hear things like, oh, I'm just going to, I mean, and these are rules that you set around yourself. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. But this is somebody that I don't see all the time and I don't go out with during the day, but occasionally. But then that's what's said to me. I'm like, okay, so you're now like you're putting a rule Uh-oh. and you're only saying the weekends. So then that means you were drinking enough during the week that it was causing concern. Absolutely. And I mean, am I thinking, are they just saying it's two glasses of wine or is it two big, huge goblets of wine, like, you know, or is it like, oh, I drink a bottle of wine or half a bottle of wine every night. Um, Now, when you would drink, Matt, and you would drink wine, you had very full glasses. So it didn't really take that long to go through a bottle, but you were also consuming two to three times the amount that a glass of wine should equate to. I don't think I'm super rare in that regard. I mean, exactly. I think 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 because a bottle of wine is is for of our kind of standard decent yeah but you think about anymore. the serving size and how big our wine glasses have gotten there That's was a joke I mean. on that um courtney fox tv show about middle-aged people and they were like oh, it's just one glass of wine every night and she had this huge like fish bowl, fish bowl. She, you she know had to drink out of it with two hands <laughs> so i mean it's like are they drinking that are they drinking this or are they just like oh i you know it's really not good for me. But then I'm like, if you're really drinking on the weekends, how much are you allowing yourself on the weekends? So my brain really starts to spin and reel because these are people that have shared with me and they know what I do now. This was recently, kind of recently. Um, 
I know they know what we do. So I'm like, is that opening a door for a conversation later on? Are they hoping I initiate the conversation? And and in the past, like pre-pandemic, I had had some people like talk about, you know, issues around that. And I just am, I feel like I can overanalyze. I don't want to overstep. And I also don't want to be in that position of, if you drink alcohol, you're an alcoholic. Right. Because I feel like... Which is what you could potentially look like if you... And I and I know that I know that you are very good at saying, um, oh, they have a drinking problem. Like you Not will, to them, I'll say Not to, to them, but to me. Like, you're like, oh, there's something else going on there, you know, or there's a bigger problem than what they're thinking. Because maybe, you know, you can read the signs and see the signs, or you're just more cued in for it. I don't know. Um, But I feel like it can be a very touchy subject because you don't want to push and prod and we know that you can't force somebody into sobriety. But I don't want to miss an opportunity to help be a guide or be a resource. Yeah, it's very difficult because often if you initiate that conversation what you're going to receive back is defensiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've found even when I, if somebody asks why I don't drink and I talk even, you know, 30 seconds about that, somebody will inevitably say, well, I don't have a drinking problem. Yeah. Like, well, we weren't talking about you. Or, or like, you know, <clears throat> so one that, person that said, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. Me. And I was like, oh, okay. And then you can kind of, you know, oh yeah, what well, made you come up with that idea? Oh, I need to drop a few pounds. So that is an excuse that you've used, like when 100%. you, when yeah, uh, and several times, like when you had stopped drinking, or that was even one of your excuses that you used before you really told everybody you were stopping. Was I'm just trying to see if the alcohol is what's holding on these last five pounds or whatever you would say, and I'm like, okay, and we know that alcohol is caloric, but then I think we go back to that's why people drink the seltzers now. Well, I think there are two things there. I think for some people that's an excuse. I'm going. I I'm embarrassed that I'm cutting down my drinking because <clears throat> I drink so much I've gained weight. Al- well, I mean, there's that, but no, alcohol is the only drug. Think about this for a minute. Alcohol is the only drug that you have to explain why you're not consuming it. You will never be in a situation where if you're not taking meth, you have to tell your friends, "I'm not taking meth," and let me tell you why. Or even cigarettes. Automatically, cigarettes. Nobody, nobody would ask you why aren't you smoking? Come on, what's wrong have with a you? drink or have a, have a smoke. Yeah. You know, why aren't you shooting heroin? Like, what's wrong with I you? Mean, and, and you I mean, and I guess will not along be those, in that situation. And I think because we live in Colorado and uh, marijuana is legalized and has been for a while, that might be another one that you would have to be like, it's just, it's just one joint. Come on, smoke I with don't me. Know. I, but I, I don't, don't think th- you get as much I mean, peer pressure about it. We're middle aged now. I don't think there'll ever be a situation for the rest of our lives where we'll be at a party where, I mean, yes. If that was our, we, that we was we our We will people. be at a party where people are smoking weed. I don't think there'll ever be a situation where we have to explain why we're not partaking. Well, I guess I'm just thinking of like back in college days. Yeah. Why aren't but, you smoking tonight? Well, because I don't want it, you know. Like, well, that, you were a known smoker, so. Yes, that exactly. Be... That's what I mean. Like that's, <clears throat> that's your people. Those are your circle. So yeah. maybe they might, but like outside of that, no. Not as adults, not now. But so, so you have to explain why you're not drinking. So if you're at a Tuesday night work gathering and you're not drinking, you have to come up with a reason why you're not drinking. I remember this from my successful, uh, 
you know, sobriety that I'm in now, I remember from my failed attempts at sobriety, going to work events or whatever, social events, whatever the reason was, and everyone's going to be drinking and I'm a known drinker and I've got to have an excuse for why I'm not drinking. And so the idea I got to lose a few pounds, that sounds like a legitimate excuse. So that might be something you would use. But there's another piece to that. I also think back to the compartmentalization and how I did my senior year in college, I think we trick ourselves too. I think we might, there might be a a tickle in the back of our brain that knows we're drinking too much and we got a little bit of an issue here. Mm -hmm. But rather than face that, because when you, when you start to face that you might be drinking too much, you have to start to consider sobriety. And for many of us, myself, a hundred percent included until I was ready for sobriety, the concept of sobriety was the most terrifying. Like, take my left arm off of my body. I'll live with one arm. I would rather consider that than consider sobriety until I was ready for sobriety. So it, if you make that excuse, even just to yourself, I'm not going to drink during the week because I'm trying to lose a little weight. That gives you a tremendous amount of emotional and mental relief because you don't have to consider that you're drinking too much doesn't have as much to do with the spare tire around your midsection as it has to do with your bad behavior and your relationship failing. So it's a, it's an internal or the compartmentalization. Other or the other things that plague you, like depression, anxi- anxiety, oh, yeah. loneliness. Yeah. You know, some I, I know that during isolation or shelter in place during the pandemic, a lot of people drank because they were lonely and they might have been by themselves. You know, I mean, maybe if you could have found a few friends that you decided, hey, we're going to be our own little family and only hook up, which we saw a couple teachers that did that from our high school. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids and I went on a hike and we ran into them and we were like, wow, Not that's our high nice. school, we attended our high we, school. Yeah, high school that where kids you could, attend yeah, where we work. Yeah, kids high school. And I was like, that's great because I've heard lots of people like talk about having to be lonely that were that young adult age. And I was like, this is great. That's their family. That's who they're sheltering in place with, even though they might be in separate apartments that evening. They had connection and community, which that was lost. And then you've just developed this habit, which now then it becomes an addiction. And it might not be an addiction that's ruining your life and you're not missing work, but it's becoming this high functioning. Yeah, not ruining your life yet. Yet. And then, yeah. So you're just kind of plugging along, drinking a little bit more and more and more, or your mixed drinks get stronger and stronger and stronger. And then, you know, then when people that don't drink come into the situation and they see it and it's like, holy moly, what has happened to you guys? Like, you're trashed, Yeah, you know, or wow, that's a lot. That's a really strong drink. You know, those sort of things. You talked about how you, you know, handle that conversation when somebody talks to you about the rules that they're putting around your drink they're drinking and you don't want to poke your nose too deeply in and be accused of you know being the teetotaler that uh you know thinks she's missed goody goody two shoes mm-hmm. and gosh i'm picking out all my 50s words today yeah. and uh has all the solutions and so you don't want to be accused of that you don't want to turn the person defensive but you don't want to do nothing either and that's where I believe that talking about our own story is so important and that's why we do so not just on the podcast but with friends and family and people in our community around us because, you know, I I had, I've said this before, but I had a writing coach years ago that 
what, the best piece of advice she gave me that I'll never ever forget is she said, tell your story. Don't tell people what to do. Tell your story. And they'll either learn from it or they won't. When you tell people what to do, they can argue with you. They can get defensive. They can say you're wrong. When you tell your story, nobody can accuse you of being wrong. Nobody can argue with you. And either they'll learn from it or they won't. And so I think that's why you being so open about what's going on with us. And, and like you said, our friends and family all know. And people are feel comfortable talking to you about it because you're so open. And then all you can do is say, this is what happened in my situation. And I mean, you've had great success with that, haven't you? Just telling your own story as opposed to giving advice. And, and is that more comfortable for you? Well, I remember when I was faced with it one of the first times, and I can't remember if it was the summer of the summer of 2020, but we were hosting something in the backyard and we were, so we could be kind of distanced. But I had a lot of, uh, like this group of people, there were like kind of almost questioning, like almost but don't you think that's a little extreme and ridiculous? You're not the one with the drinking problem. Why don't you drink? And I so badly wanted to say it because it was when I first kind of learned about gray area drinking. I had kind of, you know, that's a way that you can sidestep saying you're an alcoholic, but it's this, you know, Pavlov's dog. Like, oh my gosh, it's almost five o'clock. I can have my glass of wine while I make dinner now. You start to get and twitchy. You're like, start, yeah, and you get cranky. And that's what I was hearing the story of this, these two... Um, people talking about it and I was like oh my gosh gray area drinking gray area drinking that's the problem that's a problem and it was going off in my head okay. and then they were like well I know that Matt doesn't drink but do you drink occasionally and um, you know I was like I don't know I'm so turned off by it you know <clears throat> and all I kept thinking was oh my gosh you have no idea what I'm hearing from this side of it mm. And when I did try oh, to alarm, explain, alarm yeah, the alarm and bells. Flags, and yeah. then when I did try to explain my side of it, they were very like devil's advocate and questioning my motives. So it kind of kept me more silent, mm -hmm. I think, then because I was, uh, maybe maybe it was you, a little more uncomfortable to, to kind of defend myself more. Do you think they were internalizing what... You said, like, projecting it on themselves and saying, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to sure go there. there like, this is, she's crazy. She's over the top with her sobriety thing. I'm not going that far. Yeah, and I'm sure that there was. I mean, and these were two people that were, they consider themselves sort of wine snobs. Mm -hmm. And then, like, kind of, like, justifying, like, the health benefits and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, Revesterol is an option and other things. And, you know, and I was like, oh, I used to, by the time I figured out what kind of wine I liked, then I was getting migraines. And then, you know, so I tried to, like, use that as a part of my story that I had, I had stopped drinking wine years before you stopped drinking at all. Um, you know, and it was just like they were just constantly, like, trying to poke holes in my story. Well, that tells me that they've thought this out. They've, That's... Not that they planned for that discussion with Sherry at this neighborhood party or wherever. I don't even know where you were. It's like a at. coffee in the morning, you know, sort yeah. of thing. But, but they've obviously thought about it a lot if well, they've got their rebuttals well, ready to go. That's what I, like, didn't recognize at the, in the moment because I was still sort of new about sharing the story and being more vocal about it. And in hindsight, yes, 
I feel like they were trying to poke holes in my story because they had thought all these things through. Yeah. And they they know that there is some sort of recognition to their habits and their, li- their like, rituals. Because that was a word that was even used. Well, it's part of my ritual. I'm like, well, that's just a habit. Yeah, and a, a ritual, ritual can... <laughs> is another word for a habit. <laughs> you know what I'm like? Well, if your ritual is to have a glass of wine and always cook with wine, you know, there's a situation... That's a that's a problem for me. Yeah. You know, I can buy cooking wine so I don't have to drink what's left over in the bottle that didn't get used for the recipe. You are making your life and your choices based around alcohol. Yeah. You're building and you're and you're like almost like um putting on a pedestal or worshiping the benefits of this wine. I'm like, there's, there's alternatives, you know? So it just, I decided I would just step back and I kind of kept quiet for a while. Yeah. Understood. Well, you're definitely not quiet now. Um, there's lots of people listening to, to your story and our story of our relationship. And I, I just think it's so important. You know, you don't have to have a platform like this to talk openly about your own story and your own decisions you know, one of the things that you just mentioned, you talk about the health benefits. I mean, the health benefits of drinking wine have been refuted just in the last few years, mm-hmm. pretty universally. The American Heart Association, for one, and others, and I, I don't have that all in yeah. front of me right now, but lots of medical places and people are saying, you know, that's all a crock of shit. And um, so times are changing. And so telling your story, I think you'd have... Fewer rebuttals. I just keep cracking up at the idea of rituals being different than a a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when people, oh, I just, I like to get buzzed. I just like to relax. What you like to do is get drunk. And I don't know why we can't call a spade a spade and, and uh, be honest about it. But that's where the compartmentalizing comes in. That's for sure. And speaking of compartmentalizing behavior, I wonder... How many people, because of the things that happened during the pandemic, the acceptance or the getting away with, at least, of the day drinking, the not being around other people, so our questionable or bad behavior, it just all falls on the people we live with and nobody outside the people we live with see it. I wonder how much extra compartmentalization is taking place now. I wonder if it's very much different than it was before the pandemic. I'm just really, I'm really not sure, but it's something that I question. I know we talk to a lot of spouses of alcoholics who will share with us that their spouse doesn't recognize the damage that their drinking has done to the marriage, that the damage that the drinking has done to the spouse specifically, the heightened anxiety, the the fact that they're always on alert, they're always walking on eggshells. They're worried about saying the wrong thing. They're worried about, even if they say nothing, the drinker in their life going off on a tangent and getting upset about things. We, we as alcoholics don't, I mean, this has always been true. We don't recognize how much pain we're putting the people around us in. And I just wonder if it's worse now because there are fewer, you know, outside ramifications because everything had been for so long been done in isolation Mm -hmm. and I don't know 
I'm I'm curious about another one yeah. be- besides, you know, my my drinking, um, you know, thinking that it, it isn't impacting my life. Um, what about the kids? My kids are too young to have been impacted. We we hear that a lot, and I'm here to tell you, boy, kids are intuitive. They pick up on stuff at a young age. They might not understand why the things are happening that are happening, but they know that daddy gets mad sometimes. And so maybe if I, I'm on my best behavior, daddy won't get mad. And so they are taking on themselves the behavior of the alcoholic, taking the blame for the behavior of the alcoholic on themselves. And they will carry that through unless they get help for the rest of their lives and be constantly trying to be on their best behavior around all the people in their lives to a, you know, an unhealthy degree. It's tough. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a question for you. Do you have any feedback on any of that? No, I, I think this would be that question about, do you think that it's, um, you know, kind of worse now with the compartmentalization, like in the lack of recognition, and because there are not as many outside forces, and I still think that there are a lot of people that are still kind of not so much like being isolated and, and staying away from people because they feel like it's unhealthy. It's just become their life, mm-hmm. and and they've become more secretive. So I, I feel like that I think that it has gotten worse. Yeah. Um, but it would be interesting to see comments on this. Or get some emails about the people's experiences, drinkers and non-drinkers, like spouses and, uh, you know. Yeah, we always love feedback. Because I'm very curious about that. For me, I feel like from what I see, because I do hang around with people um, that do still drink. And I, you know, went on a cruise and I saw people drink on a cruise back in February. So I, I kind of saw a little bit of the outside world and yeah, saw really bad behavior okay, so from one you, guy during you've been our on two cruises, right, in your life? Yeah. Was could could you make a, a distinction between <laughs> the behavior on the second cruise? I can't even let you finish that sentence because all I'm gonna say is no, I couldn't tell the difference because I was worried about my drunk. My husband oh, I was, was my drunk. On the first cruise. And it was a Disney cruise and we were with kids. I don't remember seeing a whole lot of terrible behavior. And it was just three days and we didn't really have one day where we were just at sea. So the difference was I saw a lot more people on this last cruise because it wasn't a Disney cruise. So it wasn't as family oriented. Now, wait a minute. I, okay, you think that makes... Does it make a difference? I think it did because okay. one of our day excursions... I mean, they had a hell of a... Great drink specials on that. Well, Disney I don't cruise. know. I didn't go out because I was with the kids in the room while you went out at right. night. So that's what I mean. Like I couldn't tell you because I didn't have the experience. Okay. Um, but one of our day excursions, like they were all about trying to serve you rum after you had already snorkeled. And I on at the that time cruise, on the, the recent yeah cruise. on the recent one, and that's when I got salt water in my mouth and I was getting seasick. So just watching. But there was a guy that acted so inappropriate, and I was so offended that they kept serving him, and they're like, oh, my girlfriend spilt my drink. Bullshit. You're just a lush, and you're 21 years old. And I felt so embarrassed for his girlfriend that was there, his best friend that was there, and his mother. He behaved like this in front of his mother. To the point where I did speak up, because the girl went into the restroom and was crying when we got off of the little bus that took us to our scuba dive and I was like I did say this is a progression 
he is not going to change. This is who he is. If because she, I guess you know, she was crying to the mom. Oh, he's he's just acting like this because he's just so not used to drinking and the and the you know seasickness, whatever. And I was like, this is who he is. Yeah, he's not going to change. It's going to get worse. Are, believe him. I was like, as they say, and I didn't want to like get into my whole story. I just was like, this is your choice. If that's what you want to put up with for the rest of your life, he was he was the guy that had the um, those not the non cigarette smokers. What are those called? I can't think of them. Know, clove cigarettes? No, Weed? What? no, no. Like the vaping oh, vaping vape. pens, and he dropped it, and I hid it, and I took it, and I threw it away when I got off because <laughs> we were gonna get kicked off the bus if he didn't stop doing his vaping. Yeah, and I was like, you are not gonna fucking ruin my trip. And then he was going to sit by your sister, and I said, no. So. No. So I, I was a little, I was a little out there with him. My lead-in question was, was the behavior that <laughs> you witnessed on the second cruise worse than the first? And you started off by saying no, because, and then you made excuses. <laughs> because I couldn't you were compare. you paying attention to me, and that it was a Disney cruise. But I think the answer is, yes, the behavior you witnessed was much worse on I the second cruise I guess because I could not, cruise. I couldn't, I, I can't say... It was worse than that, like this last one versus the first one because there were two different experiences. So I don't like to con- try to compare things I feel are two different experiences. Okay. Okay. That's, that's semi-fair. I was more in tune and more aware and I wasn't focused on little human beings and Look, my husband. All I can tell you is on that But Disney I'm sure cruise, it was much worse. The drinkers who wanted to drink had no problem drinking and having good drinking <laughs> deals and having tons of availability. So, you know, my unscientific opinion is that it's just gotten worse. And, I mean, this happened in, in uh, 1821 also, or in, pardon me, in 1921 also, right? The coming out of the pandemic back then, 100 years ago, the, that's where the, the Roaring Twenties came from. Yeah. yeah, the Roaring Twenties came from people being uninhibited when it comes to alcohol and sex and everything. So it, you see things like that. You read the statistics about from the beverage industry. You hear from the airplane industry about the terrible behavior that's being experienced on board planes. Some of them banned alcohol. I, don't, I think that was temporary, but like some of the big carriers banned alcohol yeah. from domestic flights for a little while. That flight in, Feb- in you had to February. You to go to Europe took, if you wanted to get shined up. Yeah, that that flight I took in February from Denver to Florida, they still didn't serve alcohol. Really? Either way, coming to and from, and I had so an evening flight. So, but I think that they did ban. I think they lifted the ban on but the so carrier. You see, I took. you see things like that. I've also seen. Lots of statistics about how crime in major cities is up, like significantly up, gun violence included. And so you see all this bad behavior and it's all coming on the backside of the pandemic. And then you think about the things that we don't see, the things that happen inside the households, the compartmentalizing of the drinking, the day drinking, the behavior that's wrecking relationships but it all stays hush-hush and quiet, and the people that are immersed in those experiences have to deal with them. There's no statistics about that, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I don't know. You could probably, maybe the divorce rate will go up a few notches as a, re- as a result of the pandemic. But I haven't heard anything about that yet. But the point is, we don't have any scientific evidence that the behavior that we're seeing out there 
is related to all the day drinking that's going on. And we don't have any scientific evidence that points to relationships are struggling and suffering to a higher degree now than they were before the pandemic. But if you correlate what we're seeing in other areas where there is publicly available data to what we know happens behind closed doors, I've got to imagine it's just much worse than it used to be or much more frequent or, um, yeah, just a greater percentage of the population. So it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Yep. It's getting normalized too. Yeah. They're, they're trying to justify the normalization of their behavior. Yeah. We are acting worse today. Like I just saw something, um, the way a president responded to a, a question from a journalist and it was, you know, back in the early 60s. And, you know, that was a very contentious way that they answered the question versus, like, the way that their answer now. Like, just our behavior yeah. has declined the generally. So you take on the, yeah, you take on the etiquette and just, you know, the irrational selfishness behavior. But a lot of that is, I think, the consumption. Well. Sorry, I don't mean to go off. No, that, that was good. We're, you know, going to. F- Follow our own advice, which was not to give advice, our own advice to just tell our story as opposed to telling people what to do. All I can say is I've never been more grateful to be sober and I've never been more grateful to be in a relationship where we are actively pursuing recovery and recognizing that we're not perfect and that we're learning and that we've got a long way to go and and we're willing to talk about the stuff that needs to to happen for us to continue to get better. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Now I'm going to go look at my college transcripts some more and try to figure out what the hell happened. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.